If you brought your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. Isaiah chapter 6, looking at verses 1 through 8. We're going to talk about this morning the heart of worship, and really this could be a message that you could probably even label, you know, uh, experiencing personal revival. Um, but I'm going, to, I'm going to preach on the heart of worship from this this morning and give you, last week I gave you 40 points. All right, I apologize, that was long, but uh, uh, 40 years later for me, I wanted to cover that. If you missed last week, it is online. I will not be giving you 40 points today, only three, so you can breathe a sigh of relief. It was so funny last week when I mentioned I had 40 points to share. You should have saw your face. You should have seen your faces. Like <laughs> we're going to be here all day long. It's like no, we're not. I got a wedding to go to. So, but uh, this morning I'm preach on worship from Isaiah chapter six, reading together verses one through eight, also on the PowerPoint. In the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory." And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. No doubt, holy smoke. Just kidding. All right. Woe unto me, or woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but each weekend, each Sunday, throughout the world, millions of people gather together for the purpose of worshiping God. They come to all kinds of churches, big churches, small churches, city churches, country churches, cowboy churches. Some meet in multi-million dollar sanctuaries, some in rented facilities, some meet outdoors, some meet in malls or storefronts, some have loud worship services, some prefer, prefer a more contemplative atmosphere, some churches sing only traditional hymns from hymnals, and some others sing contemporary worship courses. Some preachers wear robes, this one doesn't. I wore a suit last Sunday, but that was, that was a rarity and for a very special occasion. Now, I could go on and on this morning talking about the various types and different types of worship services that are taking place right now throughout this country as well as this world. And in spite of the many differences that we see, there is one common denominator, and that is simply this. Lots and lots and lots of people, millions of people, have gathered today to worship Jesus Christ. 
Now, of all these millions of worshipers, they really fall into two categories. Number one, those who connect with God. And then number two, those who simply go through the motions. And I would dare say, with, with very few exceptions, those in category two, those who simply go through the motions, really want to be in category one. They want to connect with God. After all, that's why they're going to church. But for reasons that are beyond them, there may be obstacles in the way. Maybe it's doubt or confusion or fear or unconfessed sin. Whatever the reason, there are a lot of people who go to church hoping to get something out of it, but leave the same way as when they came. Now, instead, week after week, they'll go home empty. They'll go home feeling bored, perhaps. And, and it's amazing to me that in the very same service, there are many who actually do connect with God. They, they leave the church service exhilarated. They know they've been in the presence of God. God has spoke to them. They have worshiped God. And yet, in the same exact service, there'll be those who leave like, well, that was a waste of my time. And so we're going to talk about that today. Years ago, Kevin Martin from St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Seattle told a story about two comments he heard one Sunday after service. This is from the exact same service. Listen up. The first was from a new member who enthusiastically said, this is one of the greatest worship experiences I ever had. Moments later, another member approached him and snapped, the organ absolutely ruined worship for me this morning. Now, it's hard to believe that those two comments came from the exact same worship service. That's why I have maintained that the most important element in any given worship service is the heart of the person attending the service. In other words, if your heart is bent toward God, when you walk in the door and you've come with expectation, your heart will be full when you leave that church. Jesus said those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. A very simple definition of worship is this, getting drenched with God himself. All right. It can happen, honestly, anytime you want it to. It's simply a matter of your heart and really preparing your heart and getting your heart in a right place where, where God can touch and change and challenge your heart. Now, I know that so many times when we refer to worship, we think of between 10 a.m. and noon, that's the worship time. But, but really, worship is more than just a couple hours on Sunday morning. When you think about it, worship is 24-7, seven days a week. Wor worship is like walking in the Spirit. It's a lifestyle. And because there are so many great churches in this country, and so many great churches in this community, we can, if we're not careful, develop a bad habit of critiquing the worship service instead of fully participating in the worship service. In other words, we attend a service and we find ourselves evaluating the band, evaluating the song list, if there's drama, how the, how the drama team do, we evaluate the message. And, and, and not, not on how those things impacted us spiritually, 
but really on how well they were performed. And we got to be careful because if they don't measure up to our standards or what we think it should be, we'll say something like this. Well, I don't know. I just couldn't get into worship this morning. There was too much treble in the guitar. The keyboard was too loud. I couldn't hear the harmonies. There were too many mistakes. I just couldn't get into worship. Now, on a side note, I want to say quickly that our worship team and Pastor Jim strives to make every aspect of the worship part of the service, and they do it with excellence. I know that he is committed to excellence. I know him. I know he is not about performance, but about worship and being led by the Spirit. But, but, and, and as well as for myself, I want the message that I preach, uh, let alone the 40 points last week, but, but to be uplifting, to be life-changing and challenging. And, and we do that because we're committed to excellence. And I believe that as Christians, we ought to do everything as we do it as unto him, not unto man. I get that. But the fact is, there is not a single church service this side of heaven at BCF or elsewhere, or elsewhere uh, that's going to hit a home run every Sunday. All right? And if the only way you can get into worship is for us to be perfect and brilliant every week, you're going to miss out on the heart of worship. All right? Over 20 years ago, Mike Pilavachi, he was a pastor of a contemporary church in England, and he had some incredible worship leaders in his church over the years. Uh, a couple that come to mind are Matt Redman and Tim Hughes. Matt wrote a number of songs that you've heard. Better is one day, I am yours, let my words be few, among others. Well, Tim, Tim wrote, here I am to worship, consuming fire, may the words of my mouth and, uh, and others. Well, Pastor Mike noticed in his church a tendency that had developed among the people to focus too much on the performance aspect of the music. And he noticed that the focus of the services became about the music more and more and not about Jesus. And so he said the church needed to be brought back to a place where each one was bringing their own contribution to the worship, not just watching the band and grading their performance, so to speak. So Pastor made a drastic move. He banned the band and said, we're not doing any music for a while. We're going to take some time to get refocused on who it is we are here to worship. And they had several meetings in their church with no performed music. And this literally became a time of renewal for their church. Eventually, they began doing music again with the band, leading the worship songs. But for everyone in that church, there was a new focus. And their focus was now on Jesus. Well, out of that experience, Matt Redman, who used to be a worship leader there, wrote the song we sang this morning, The Heart of Worship. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come. All based on that experience of that pastor in that church years ago. How many knew that? You sing the song, you knew that, but most of us didn't know that, all right? Friends, that truly is, though, the heart of worship. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. 
It's not a matter of how well, everything, how well everyone performs on stage. It's a matter of where your heart is, where my heart is, where our hearts are at, and our hearts need to be focused on the Lord. Now, I've been to all kinds of churches throughout my life, I've been in services where the guitar was hopelessly out of tune. The organist played like she was wearing mittens. The sermon was long and dull, and that was some of mine, no doubt. But I've also connected with God in a very real personal way, a very intimate way, when things weren't going all that well on stage. I've also been in services where the music was awesome, the drama was thought-provoking, the sermon was dynamic, and I've left those same services just as stubborn and self-willed and cold-hearted as when I walked in the door. What's the difference? The heart. Your heart and my heart. See, it's not, check this out, it's not about the production quality of the service It's about our hearts. It's about our hearts. And if the Asbury revival has taught us anything, it's a reminder it's about your heart. And so today we're going to look at getting back to the heart of worship by looking at Isaiah chapter 6. And I pulled three things out of here that I think will help us get back to the heart of worship, literally how to experience a personal revival ourselves. And the first thing is this, and it's always the first thing, get focused on God. Get focused on God. If this passage teaches us anything, it says get focused on God. Now, an obstacle that many people have when it comes to worship is perhaps resentment toward leaders in the church. Let's not kid ourselves, we're all human, and sometimes there is friction in our relationships. And I will say this, if your eyes are on people, you will miss God every time. All right? If your eyes are on a person rather than God, it will hinder you and your relationship with the Almighty. Now, a woman said to her friend, I went to church today, but my heart wasn't in it. Knowing what I know about Pastor Bob, I just couldn't worship. Now, Pastor Bob wasn't involved in anything illicit or sinful. It was just that he and she did not see eye to eye on a couple of administrative issues. Apparently, Pastor Bob was a little stern with her husband in a recent deacon meeting, and it made her mad. This is why deacons, you don't share what's going on in the meeting with your spouses. Interesting enough, her husband shrugged the whole thing off and he said to his wife, I don't go to church to worship Pastor Bob, I go to church to worship Jesus. Well, at least he understood the heart of worship. He had the right attitude. See, many people choose the path of bitterness and complaint instead of contentment and praise. Friend, we need the right attitude. We need, instead of being overwhelmed by our troubles, to be overwhelmed by the glory and the power and the majesty of the God that we're worshiping. Psalm 149, 4 through 6. For the Lord takes delight in his people. 
He crowns the humble with salvation. Let the saints rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. Or Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12. We who first hoped in Christ have been destined and appointed... We have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of His glory. Think about that. We have been destined and appointed. We are created to worship. Worship is eternal. I've been teaching in Revelation, and we have already covered the throne in chapter 4 and, and the Lamb in chapter 5. And guess what? Revelation gives us a picture of what worship will be like eternally. And I got to say, if you don't enjoy worshiping here, you're going to feel out of place there. And I know there's no time as we know it, but worship happens all the time in heaven. Hallelujah. See, I, what I want is to perpetuate the power of his presence and release, as Albert taught last week, a sweet-smelling fragrance in this place. I want to be the aroma of Christ, hallelujah, that we offer our praise, our sacrifice, our worship up to God. Hallelujah. See, the Bible warns against hasty, rash worship where our hearts are not focused on God. Ecclesiastes 5.2 do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, you are on earth, so let your words be few. In other words, we are not to utter anything in the Lord's presence without our heart and soul in it all the way. I wonder today how much of our praise and how much of our worship is literally connected to our hearts. Because in the Old Testament, the, leaf, the least flippancy, in the Old Testament, the least flippancy in worship was severely judged. I mean, God quickly punished those who were careless in approaching his presence. Amos 8.5 says this. The people were saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat. And, uh, uh, skimping the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest skills. In other words, we want to hurry up and get this over so we can get back to what's really important and what we want to do. Pastor, when does the service end? The game begins in 30 minutes. I wonder if my roast is done yet. People are text messaging one another on their cell phones. When that is happening, be assured your heart is not in worship. Strong word, but true word. Amen. John 4, 23 and 24. Jesus speaking, the words are in red. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So the God, God the Father is seeking true worshipers. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship, must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, not just mouthing words with no heart into it. Let me ask you this morning, would any of you dare 
walk into a church on a Sunday morning carrying a mannequin or a straw dummy, set it down where you usually sit, and then go home and watch TV. You say, Pastor, that is, uh, that is a mockery. You know, preposterous, you say. Well, guess what? If your heart is not engaged in worship, if your mind is not present, your thoughts not captive to the obedience of Christ, you might as well put a mannequin or a straw person where you're sitting right now because at least it's being more honest than coming into God's house with no heart or thought in it. Christians today are now in such a hurry, they don't even want to get out of cars. I actually heard the news this past Wednesday morning that churches are now offering drive-up service for ashes. Ashes to go. How many saw that news report? Ashes to go. Some churches even offer drive-in worship where people can roll down their windows and listen to the service on a speaker. And I got one better for you. We don't even have to get in our cars anymore. We can live stream it at home while we're sitting in our recliner, you know, drinking coffee, eating, eating whatever, you know, and we can just listen to it then. I've, during COVID, people would say, I, I decided to attend the virtual, you know, the, the whatever live stream today. Well, you're not attending nothing. You're staying home is what you're doing. And I get it that people are shut in. I get all that. I understand all that. But friends, we got to be careful that we don't get out of the habit of meeting together commanded in, in Hebrews 10, 25. I mean, Pastor Smiling Sam brings his soothing message into your bedroom. On TV, you have Sister Sheet and Brother Blanket and Pastor Pillow all joining. I get that. <laughs> but how will these people stand before the judgment seat of Christ someday and answer his command of not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together? So what I'm simply saying is this. We need to get our eyes once again focused on God. And we need to keep our eyes focused on God. I heard people say, well, and I've addressed this a few weeks ago, so I won't belabor it. But people say, well, I went to, I went to your church, and it's not my church, first of all. It's his church. I didn't shed my blood for it. But I went to your church, and I just couldn't get nothing out of worship. I want to say exactly, because you're not supposed to, because worship's not about you, it's about him. Amen. What about you worshiping? What about you entering in? What about you saying, God, I am here for you? Because after all, church, we were created not for our pleasure, but for his pleasure. Revelation 5. All right. We see this in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year King Uzziah died, what did Isaiah say? I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And so Isaiah here is mentioning King Uzziah. Now, in some ways, this king had been a good king, but he was just a man, and he made a lot of mistakes along the way, as do we. In his reign, there was a time of prosperity for Judah. But the book of 2 Chronicles tells us in chapter 26, 3 through 5, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 52 years. 
making him 68 when he, when he retired from his kingship, I guess. His mother's name was Jecoliah, and she was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. I love that. Who instructed him in what? In the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. As long as you and I have our eyes on God, as long as you and I focus on the Lord, God's blessing remains there. God rewards those who diligently seek him. Bible. But it goes on in verse 8 of chapter 26 of 2 Chronicles. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. His, and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. Eight verses later, verse 16, but after King Uzziah became so powerful, his pride, his pride led to his downfall, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. You see, basically, King Uzziah decided to rewrite the rules of Judaism and he eventually was struck with leprosy. And so Isaiah begins chapter 6 by saying, regardless of what happened to King Uzziah in the year that King Uzziah died, I, I'm not focusing on King Uzziah. Let's make that a modern day translation. I'm not focusing on on the president of the United States. I'm not focusing on politics. My eyes are on God. I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. My focus is not political. My focus is spiritual. What a word to the church today. Because if you think the Democrat Party or the Republican Party is going to pull us out of the mess we're in, friends, you got another guest coming. Because our only hope is not the White House, it's the church house, it's the throne of God, it's the throne of God Almighty. We must be people who says, forget about Uzziah, I saw the Lord. Amen. Amen. My eyes weren't on the king, my eyes were on God. And so what am I saying? I'm saying if you want to make the most of your worship experience here at BCF or for any other church, for that matter, for all you snowbirds, you need to do the same thing. Get your eyes off people and get focused on God. Maybe some Uzziahs need to be removed from your thinking as well, some attitudes, some relationships, whatever. I remember years ago, we had a board meeting on a Sunday afternoon and, and hardly ever do that, but we happened to have a board meeting and during that board meeting, somebody called and I made the mistake of answering the phone, Sunday afternoon. And as I picked the phone up, they told me who they were, they visited that Sunday morning and guess what they told me? They were telling me everything wrong about the service. They were critiquing it. And I couldn't believe the call, but I thought, I didn't say this, and I probably would today because I'm bolder now than I was back then. But I thought to myself, you know, sir, you're never going to find a church like that you like with a critical spirit like that because no church will measure up to your expectations. Every church in, in, on the world today is flawed in some way because we're all flawed. All right? We all are. And, and turn to your neighbor and say, you're flawed. <laughs> We're all flawed some way, amen? But I thought, man, you should be focusing on Jesus. I'm never, in their time, in their, true story, uh, I remember a guy, I was walking in the hallway over here, 
and I saw someone pull up and they put a piece of paper and they stuck it in the door and as they were leaving they're puffing on a cigarette and if you smoke that's up to you and God you say well can I smoke and go to heaven well if you do smoke and you're born again you might get there before you should have got there but anyway um, but he was smoking and he gave me a piece of paper and he was critiquing me again of and this is what I do but I raise my voice I get excited about God's word and, and preaching God's word but he said this he said I saw you get excited and you raised your voice in service. Jesus never raised his voice. That was my response. I'm going, well, okay, if you, if you say so. <laughs> I used to smoke, so. Anyway, I, 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 uh, I remember telling Pastor Nancy, I said, the guy was wrong because Jesus raised his voice in Scripture. If anyone is thirsty, let him come. He is literally yelling that. He is, if anyone is, he's raising his voice. And so that person was wrong, but I never saw them again. See, here, here's what I want us to know. God wants us to know that his house is a house of prayer. His house is a, a house of worship. And we're going to be judged by how we value worship and how we approach his presence. Friends, we are not merely to sit and drink. We are to bring a sacrifice. We are to give him of ourselves. We are to set aside all flesh and cry out, Lord, I am here to burn as a living sacrifice for you. I give you my hands. I give you my body. I give you my voice. I give you my thoughts. I give you my everything. Consume me as a sacrifice of praise. Amen. Psalm 150, 1 through 6. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and flute. By the way, I'm loving the flute and the saxophone. Amen. All right. Praise Him with the clash of the cymbals, drummer. All right. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen. Are you breathing this morning? Breathe on your neighbor. That's why we got the mints. By the way, the mints, we've gone through about 20 pounds since September. That means you like them. That's okay. I just saw them at Nerd Church. I like the idea. And it's much, much more pleasant to greet everybody now. Amen. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. All right. But everything, I mean, everything that's breathing, praise God. You see, when you come into God's house, just come with this attitude of God, it's not about me. As we sang, it's about you. And Jesus, you can say, Jesus, I'm not where I should be. I love you. Cleanse me. Sanctify me. Give me clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, don't let the devil touch my mind. Put a wall of fire around my thoughts and let me bring you an offering of a focused, fully minded, um, fully, fully uh, focused mind on you. God, I'm here to praise and worship you. You see, instead of looking at people, focus on God. Focus on who he is. Notice what Isaiah said. I saw the Lord seated on a throne. This is the John's vision in, in Revelation as well. Seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. You see, instead of looking at people, you focus on the majesty of God. You focus on the glory of God. You focus on the holiness of God. 
Isaiah said, Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. And with two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they're flying around. And they're calling to one another, Holy, 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 for emphasis, three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. You see, instead of looking at people, focus on the glory of God. The whole earth is full of His glory. So when you come to church, don't look at people. Look to God. Look to his majesty. Look to his holiness. Look to his glory. And this doesn't apply just to Sunday morning. It applies to every day of the week. Get focused on God. I mean, Isaiah was overcome with an, with an awareness of God's majesty. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Holy is greatness, his holiness, his supremacy, his glory. Worship begins with the right attitude. Friends, as far as is humanly possible, see God for who he is. See God in his holiness. See God in his beauty, in his majesty, in his purity. That's why I maintain that God does not accept weak, boring, half-hearted worship. I also maintain, I'm going to step on a few toes here, that's okay. Hope you brought your steel-toed shoes. The reason many Christians today don't worship in church with power, with excitement, with exuberance and zeal is because they have very little intimacy with Jesus outside of these four walls. I heard some oohs, I heard some amens, omis, omis, you know, whatever. See, true worshipers can't wait to get to church and with people of God to praise God among God's people. And no one has to lure them into entertainment and hype Yet most churches today, not most, there are some churches today that are run like airline companies, offering frequent flyer mileage. Come to church every Sunday and pile up free points. Earn double points for midweek service. Earn triple points for the prayer meeting. Friends, this hype only inhibits true worship. We need to get back to the heart of worship and the heart of worship is focusing on him the heart of revival is focusing on him all right the second thing is this number two we need to be cleansed get cleansed by grace get cleansed by grace you see there is something about seeing God for who he is that causes you and me to see ourselves for who we are in other words Isaiah I witnessed the glory of God and Isaiah said my destruction is sealed, for I am a sinful man and a member of a sinful race. Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am undone. I am unclean. My eyes have seen the king. There's a story in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus told Simon to put his net in the deep water. And Simon answered basically by saying, hey, we've worked all night. We've toiled all night and have caught nothing. And then he says, yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. You know, Simon didn't exactly sound very enthusiastically about doing what Jesus told him to do. It's like the teenager says, well, I'll clean my room if I have to. I'll let down the nets if I have to, you know. But guess what happened next? Luke 5, 6 says, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. In fact, when they began to load the fish into the boat, there were so many fish in the boat that the boat began to sink. Now, I've been fishing a lot but I've never been fishing Jesus style where the boat begins to sink because of all the fish. 
Now, that would be fun, I think. All right, I, I, I think that'd be great. Well, Peter realized after what happened that he was in the presence of not just a man, but the living Christ. And what was Peter's response? Luke 5, 8 tells us, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Friends, in revival, in worship, this is what happens when you get in the presence of God. When you get in the presence of Almighty God, pride begins to melt away and you become aware of your own sinfulness. And you can only respond in one way. This is what's happening and has happened the last three weeks at Asbury University and now spreading to other college campuses. I've read the testimonies. People being aware of God's presence and people being aware of their sinfulness. You see, when you get close to God, God's going to reveal himself to you and you're going to see yourself in need of him. Even the prayer, you know, if my people who are called by my name would what would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You won't see your wicked ways until you humble yourself and pray and seek him first. Do you see the tie-in? Peter, same thing. Isaiah, same thing. Revelation, I read last week. Same thing, John, who knew Christ best, I believe. John, when he saw the, the glorified Christ, says, I fell at his feet as though dead. Isaiah recognized that he is not good, that he is guilty. He realized that he is a sinner, just like Peter's response, just like Isaiah's response. His response was to confess his sinfulness. Now, the word confess is a, in, in Greek is a compound word, homologia. And the word homo means the same, and logia, to speak or say, literally it means to say the same thing. And so confession, biblical confession, is simply an agreement with God. When we confess, we are saying, God, I'm saying about me what you say about me. I see myself the way you see me. God, I am ruined, I am unclean, I am undone. It's like the angel wrestling with Jacob in Genesis 32. And the angel says, what is your name? I'm Jacob. I'm a conniver. I'm a deceiver. I'm a supplanter. You're no longer Jacob. You're Israel, which means he struggles with God. You see, when we get close to God, and this is where, where many people stop short, I believe, of going further in God because they, they don't, they don't want to get close to God because they know God's going to show them some stuff that God wants to clean up in their lives. Hello, and this is what oftentimes cuts revivals short. So seeing God for who he, who he really is and seeing ourselves for who we are leads us to this next element of worship. Uh, verse 5, King James says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You see, it's not that God wants us to acknowledge our sinfulness merely for the sake of doing it so we can talk about how wretched we are. God, I want you to get this, God wants you and I to acknowledge our sinfulness so we can experience His transformational power of His grace. In other words, God wants us to come to a place where we agree with Him, but then He says, here's a solution. Here's my grace. Here's my mercy. 
Listen to what happened next, Isaiah 6 and 7, 6, 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew over the altar, and he picked up a burning coal with a pair of tongs, and he touched my lips, and, and with it he said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. Friends, that is the purpose of being in the presence of God. So yes, we can acknowledge our sin, but also, hallelujah, so we can experience his forgiveness. Glory. Getting back to the heart of worship simply means that we recognize this truth, that we are not able to approach God on the basis of our own worthiness. We are only able to approach God because He has made us worthy through the blood of Jesus. And we are made, only through the, made worthy only through His blood. Thank God Jesus died on the cross for our sins. The book of Hebrews says we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Or Psalm 57 verse, or 50, 51 verse 17. The sacrifice you want is a broken spirit, a broken and repentant heart, O oh God, you will not despise. And so this whole act of worship, it really involves us recognizing, honestly, our total dependence on God. We don't approach him proudly with arrogance. No, we, we humble ourselves. Why? Because God gives grace to the humble. We don't approach him on the strength of our good deeds or our acts of righteousness, but rather with a sense of gratitude. This is what he has done for me. Thank you, God. Thank you for taking that coal. Thank you for cleansing my heart. Thank you for cleansing my life. See, when you have that attitude, honestly, it is nearly impossible to get distracted by the bass player hitting a bad note or the drummer missing a beat or the pastor misspelling desserts last week on the PowerPoint. <laughs> How many saw that? All right. Did it distract you? You weren't focused on it. What does this mean in our day-to-day life with God? Basically, it means that, that God... My focus is on you. My heart is on you. I agree with you every step of the way. And I need you. I need you in my life. You get cleansed by his grace. Third thing is this, and I close with this one. Verse 8. Get ready to go. Point three. Then, the Lord, then, I, heard, then I heard the Lord asking, whom, sh- whom should I send us? Whom should I send as a messenger to my people? Who will go for us? And I said, Lord, I'll go send me. Here am I, send me. Here's what I want to point out. Worshiping God and working for God go together. I think our best response to worship is to say with Isaiah, Lord, here am I, I'll go, I'll do this. One of the reasons I really believe that God's moving in our college campuses today because God's raising up servants. God's raising up future pastors and future evangelists and future preachers and teachers. And God's getting a hold of people. God's getting a hold of people. And God's saying, who will go for me? Because only as God gets a hold of your heart, only as you focus on him, only as you repent and get right with him, is God now able to use you to do what he wants you to do. And newsflash, God has a right to do in your life and through your life whatever God sees fit to do. Even when you don't like it. 
but you will because you, you want to be no place else other than smack dab in the center of God's will. All right? So, Lord, here am I. Send me. A couple things I learned here. First of all, right worship leads to right living. Right worship leads to right living. Our struggles with sin is not so, matter, not so much a matter of badness as it is a matter of awareness. The awareness from God leads then to the badness and to sin. Uh, because when you have a one-on-one -on -one encounter with God, in the presence of God, guess what? It will affect you and how you spend the rest of your day. Last three weeks, Asbury, every day, people from, from all over coming. I mean, it's going to affect you. It affects what you say. It affects how you treat people. And so really it comes down to right worship then leads to right living. Secondly, right worship also leads to evangelism. Because here's the deal. The more time you spend with God, the more you want to share him with others. Also, thirdly, right worship leads to acts of compassion. Let me put it this way. It is impossible to be unmerciful to others when you've just been drenched in the mercy of God. It's impossible to be unmerciful to others when God's been merciful to you. It's impossible to be unforgiving toward others when you just bask in God's forgiveness. And it's impossible to turn away from the needs of others when you've had a personal encounter of God meeting you and meeting your need. What am I saying? You can't worship God and ignore people. Ignore the needs of people. See, as a church and as individuals, yeah, we need to focus on God. You want to have a personal revival? Focus on God. Agree with God. Get cleansed by His grace. And then yield yourself. Say, Lord, here, here am I. God, you can use me. You can do in my life, through my life, whatever you want. That's the lifestyle of worship, of revival. See, in all reality, Isaiah chapter 6 is a passage that gives us a word of confession. Woe. It's a word of cleansing. Lo. It's a word of commission. Go. It was a vision of holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It was a vision of hellishness. I am undone. It was a vision of hopelessness. Who will go for us? It was a vision of height. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. It was a vision of depth. He saw the recesses of his own heart. It was a vision of breath. He saw the world. The vision that Isaiah had was an upward vision. He saw the Lord. It was an inward vision. He saw himself. It was an outward vision. Who will go? He saw the world. See, that's what worship is all about. Where we get our eyes off ourselves. We get our eyes off of others. We get our eyes on God. And we allow God to change our hearts. To change our lives. So God can use us then in turn to change the world. But it all comes when we get a vision of who he is and his holiness and his majesty. We're cleansed because of his grace and we volunteer and say, Lord, I'll go. See, in my heart of hearts, church, and I'm closing, I'm closing, but I believe with all my heart that God is speaking to his church with a megaphone and he's calling his church to fall down before him in complete surrender 
in complete repentance, in complete worship, but not to stay down, but to rise up in witness, to go into all the world and preach the gospel timely for our missions convention, to surrender all, to confess sin, to walk deeply with him, to worship with abandonment, to clear your conscience with those you've wronged, to give with reckless generosity, to clear up your schedule, to be willing to pray all night if God calls you to pray all night, to share the gospel with others, to testify boldly to everyone. The primary message of the Welsh revival in which 100,000 people came to faith in nine months was summarized in these four points by Evan Roberts. Number one, confess all known sin. Confess all known sin. Number two, lay aside every doubtful habit. Lay aside every doubtful habit. Number three, obey the Spirit promptly. And number four, confess, confess Christ openly. Those four points. And my question to you this morning is simply this. Are you willing to go there? Are you willing to confess all known sin? To lay aside every doubtful habit? To obey the Spirit promptly? And to confess Christ openly? You will either miss God's movement or you will step into the powerful river of God's awakening based on here. I say, God, help me. Just be like Isaiah, to see you for who you are. High and lifted up, your holiness, your beauty, your majesty. But God, to see myself as you see me and, and my need for you. But then to say, God, after you've cleansed me, God, you can send me, you can use me. Let's all stand to our feet, I'll close in prayer. See, what God in his sovereignty may yet do on a worldwide scale, I do not know. But I do believe that there will be an end time harvest of souls because it shows me God's love for people. Reading through Revelation, the judgments we're looking at right now, the, 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 the trumpets, seven trumpets, it's God's extreme mercy on mankind. But I don't know what God's going to do necessarily on a worldwide, worldwide scale but I do know that those who will be earnest in seeking the Lord will find the Lord. God rewards those who diligently seek him. And I say, God, give us, give me, but give us as a church a heart that focuses on you, that knows of your forgiveness, but also says, God, you can use me however you want to use me. Father, I pray as we dismiss today, God, that you would take the words that were preached. God, that, that they would not only land in our ears to hear, but God, in the soil of our hearts to receive, to apply this word to our lives today. God, I thank you for what you are doing and what you've done in Asbury and other college campuses today. But I pray, God, that the glory of God would spread like a wildfire throughout this land, throughout this world. God, that your presence be so real to people. And as Isaiah, even, even when King Uzziah died, God, that some things might need to die in our lives so we can get our focus on you once again. But God, help us to see you high and lifted up. Help us to, to understand your holiness and your majesty, knowing that no revival 
has ever lasted on planet earth without holiness and without repentance. But also, God, to say with Isaiah, God, here am I. Send me. Use me, God. Use me after you've cleansed me. And, Lord, we say with Isaiah, we say with Peter, we say with others, God, God, change us. Change me. God, change us to become the man, the woman, the person that you want me to be. And, Father, I pray your blessing now upon your word that we would live out your word. And as I said earlier, God, not, not just on a Sunday morning from 10 to noon, but 24-7, seven days a week, God, throughout the month, throughout the year. God, that we would live for the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, speaking to your heart today, I just want to, before I dismiss you, how many would say, God, God's been speaking to my heart about some things today in the message God's been speaking to my heart. Amen? Amen? Go, go with what God, don't just say, okay, that's good, but apply it. Make it, make it real in your life. And, if, you know, I don't know what point you need to focus on God or repent or, or God use me or whatever it is, but say, God, this is where I'm at today. God, you've been speaking to me today. Because when God speaks to us, he's, he's wanting some changes, all right? He's wanting some things to happen in our lives that we can be the people that God wants us to be. So go with the blessing of God today. Go with the, the anointing of God's spirit today. As I said, you're all invited for the annual business meeting, uh, dessert social at 4 o'clock, and then prayer following. There's going to be no rhyme or reason to the prayer meeting. Just if you can stay, and there will be some music on, but just pray over the nations. Pray over our missionaries. Pray over the missions convention in two weeks and pray God's blessing for a harvest of souls. Guess what? There's still empty pews here and over there and over here in the balcony. We have room for more. We have room for more. Amen? Go with the blessing of God, the anointing of God's Spirit on your life today. If you need, the altars are open as they are every Sunday. If you do not, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and today would be your day of repentance, I want to pray for you, pray with you, and believe God. And, and welcome you into the family of God today. I'll be available at the end here, at the, at the front, if you need prayer for whatever reason as well. God bless you all. God loves you more than you can imagine.